0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode and I'm here with, and I'm going to call you a friend already. We've had some fun conversation in just the last few minutes. My new friend, Ann Koch, thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast today.
1: Of course. Hey, Nathan.
0: And first of all, I have to, I'm going to go ahead and let everybody know where they can follow you online. You have a pretty interesting website, I have to say. uh, And the wide variety of imagery that you share with the viewers uh, is quite incredible as well. I'm looking at this beautiful image, what looks like from uh, maybe even the African plains currently. Just some really, really interesting and beautiful work. And everybody listening in, you can go to Anne. Catherine K A T H R I N Koch K O C H dot com, and of course we'll link to this in the show notes. It is Ann Koch photo on Instagram as well. Um, and and you know what? This has been kind of nice as of late. I've been complimenting some of our guests for the variety of imagery that they have on their Instagram. It used to be the thing where everything just had to have this this uh, similarity, if you will, this continuity, all the same color scheme, the same type of photography. Mm. And you have such a wonderful variety, which makes actually looking at your Instagram feed interesting. So props to you for that, too. Thank you. But we'll link to that and your website in the show notes for everybody who is curious. And we're going to be talking about international wedding photography today and more specifically how to attract international clients. This is something that I think probably a lot of wedding photographers dream of the idea of traveling to photograph weddings. So we're going to talk about how to go about that in just a little bit. But Let's just start off like we normally do with a question about brand position. Curious how you would define your brand position or more specifically the unique value proposition that your photography business brings to your market.
1: So I want to say that my main goal for my clients is that I want to create memories for them that truly represent who they are. Um, which goes for both wedding portrait as well as commercial clients, but by adding a little bit of magic to it. So not too, not too realistic, but in a sense that you can recognize yourself.
0: So what does what it define magic for me? Because that's a word that that has some intrigue and interest, and yet it can yeah. be a bit subjective in nature. What does that mean to you?
1: To me, it means making the best possible image out of any situation that i can and i think there's like a there's like a big span between documenting exactly what you're seeing and creating Mm. a whole fantasy world within one image and i want to kind of keep it somewhere in the middle because to me it's all about how how a moment felt rather than what it just looked like and if that can come across in my image then i'm happy
0: Yeah, this is an interesting point of conversation. We could probably spend a whole podcast episode on it, honestly. (laughs) But but the idea of a so-called balance between how you see the moment and then potentially how the client may be experiencing the moment and then kind of imbuing, if that's even a word, or applying this magic to the image, uh, a creative magic, if you will, to the image and finding a happy medium between all of the above. Uh, I know that can be a little bit of a challenge, and it's going to be very subjective in nature. But I'm I'm on, again, on the homepage of your website. Another picture that pops up is a very interesting one, actually, of a couple. It's a silhouette. They're actually out of focus. The focus is on the hot air balloons in the background, the mm. architecture in the background. Whereabouts was that photo taken?
1: That was in Myanmar. Wow. Yeah.
0: Absolutely Yeah, that was
1: like actually that whole thing I would describe as magical throughout if we're talking about magic. Oh,
0: 100%.
1: (laughs) Like I feel like that image really sums up how the entire wedding or the entire trip felt like. Okay. It was just like that.
0: Well, and, and it's interesting how you chose ultimately to focus on the background versus the couple. And yet it's still very much about the couple and their experience of that scene. It is definitely magical. It's a really, really beautiful image.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a really good example for exactly that kind of thing, that by focusing on the background, I'm showing what the couple was experiencing at mm. that time, because obviously they don't see themselves, so but they are still in the image, yeah. and they're very present in the image, uh, even though they're only a silhouette But and out of focus, like you mentioned. But I feel like without them, the image would be completely different. It would have a completely different feel to it. Oh,
0: so. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I like the fact that they're out of focus, because it throws me off a little bit. Yeah. I'm so used to seeing, you know, these pretty portraits, if they're a silhouette, for example, tack sharp couple, and then maybe the sunset in the background, for example. But yeah, you really you change the the meaning of the image by purposefully keeping them out of focus. And uh, well, I, I just love what you've done the, with that image. And it is a beautiful example of the so-called magic that you're creating. So again, props to you for that. And for those of you listening in, once again, we'll link to Ann's website in the show notes. If you go to bokeh, B-O-K-E-H uh, we'll link to the website there. But let's keep moving because we have quite a bit to cover here. From all <laughs> that you've learned as a business owner so far, I'd be curious what the first piece of advice would be that you'd want to share with a fellow photographer if you had the opportunity. And maybe along with that, you can comment on how long you've been in business uh, and where you've gained this experience from.
1: So I think the number one thing that keeps coming up for me again and again throughout business and anything creative that I do is integrity. So Mm. it's staying true to what I believe in, why I am doing this in the first place and who I'm doing it for. I think it just, if you focus on integrity overall, as an overall theme, you can always come back to the number one thing that matters. And in this kind of business, it's mainly the client. But if, like, every client is different. So if you keep on focusing just on the client, you're going to lose the whole sense of what you are and who you are as a business. And that's not great either. So,
0: so when you talk about integrity, are you talking about consistently applying your value set to your photography business? What your that kind of the the motivation the why behind why you even do what you do in the first place
1: yeah it's um a, that's a big part of it and i feel it's also it's boundaries as well that that if you know why you're doing it then you're not going to sacrifice anything just to get the job Ah, for example which i mean obviously like we've all done it i'm not i'm not above that (laughs) (laughs) it it usually doesn't end so well for nobody like it's hard work for you Uh, the couple's not or your client is not going to get the the greatest result because you're not giving your best in that situation Mm. so i feel everybody benefits from and i guess when i say integrity it's just staying true to like having a really clear idea of why you do this and then you can always come back to it and use that as kind of your guideline throughout every single decision that you're making along the way.
0: Yes. Okay. Now I'm biased. So I'll admit that right off the bat for those who listen to the podcast quite a bit. You know that we talk about the idea of a big picture view, letting your values drive how you run your business, the kind of business model that you create, and then ultimately how you spend your time. So I'm curious, actually, and and really this ties in well with my next question. Do you let that value set, the why, the motivation behind why you run your business, what your goals are in your business, do you let that also determine how you spend your time in any way?
1: Um, You mean my time at work or my time in general?
0: Um, I guess more specifically time and work, because and this is something I've commented on before, but you're probably familiar with this too. I've been guilty of this. I've had this experience where it's easy to just kind of react to any and everything coming in versus proactively deciding, hey, this is the business model that I'm running. These are the yeah. types of clients that I'm going after. And as a result, those decisions act as a filter to enable me to get rid of anything in my day-to-day business life that isn't supporting my goals, and uh, as a result, not only can I focus on doing a better job at, at what I'm focused on on my ultimate goal set for my business, but it also frees me up because now I'm less busy. I'm not just doing busy work for the sake of doing busy work. I'm focusing yeah. on the things that actually support my long term goals.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. I would also add that I like to stay flexible because. Not every day is the same. We're not feeling the same, like productive every single day. True. So um, I like to be guided more by how I'm feeling about a situation rather than the situation itself, if that makes sense.
0: Interesting. How does that work though? And, and I'm curious, and this is something that that um, number one, I can relate to, but it's it's been to my detriment at times that I let my feelings kind of guide how I'm spending my time as a business owner, how I'm managing my time. And as a result there, I can I can waste a lot of time too. If I let my feelings kind of carry how I spend my time in a day, how do you balance going with the flow with also making sure that you maintain a certain level of productivity?
1: I think it this can really tie back into the whole integrity thing like okay. um keep on coming back to your own whatever it is guiding light that keeps you keeps you going but um i think routine is a big is a big theme for me hmm. because the more i stick to my general daily routine the more productive i am at the end
0: uh, Interesting. It
1: kind of, yeah, because my, my routine basically I know gets me to a point where I'm not distracted by anything else that may be going in my life or just reacting spontaneously to yeah. any email that's coming in, feeling overwhelmed by clients. But I know that if I stick to my routine, I can be um, as open and as helpful as I can be with anything that comes up throughout the day.
0: Interesting. Okay, so routine. And, and I would assume based on what you're describing that this is a relatively loose structure. It gives you some flexibility, as you alluded to earlier. But knowing, hey, during this segment of the day, I do this thing. During this segment, I do that thing. Or maybe during these particular days, I spend my time in this particular way. Having that loose structure enables and encourages consistency.
1: Yeah. So I would say that in general, I probably have pretty strict rules for myself at this point when it comes to how much time am I gonna spend on my business and when am I replying to emails and when am I not. Okay. But um what I mean with the flexibility part that I was talking about earlier is that some days I'm I'm I guess I'm feeling generous or <laughs> I know that I'm totally fine working twelve hours instead of eight hours or six hours that day and then i'll make i just take advantage of that by doing that on that particular day but then other days i notice that i'm getting more irritated or i get really impatient with certain things and then i just i just take that time to realize okay now i probably should stop doing this and get back to it when i'm in a better (laughs) headspace yeah
0: (laughs) i can very much relate to those days and those situations for sure Um, and sometimes selfishly i guess i i I'll just I can take a break and I go get on the motorcycle. For example, I'd I like to ride motorcycles, and there's something about being able to just get away, be in the fresh air, have the sun on me, hear the engine of the motorcycle, and and it it, it kind of melts away some of that stress and yeah. uh, lets me hit the reset button, and then I can exactly. come back and and get back to work. Uh, and
1: that's it. I think I mean those kind of things. They may take a certain amount of time for you to do, but I definitely feel like that is never a wasted time Yeah, because it will come back to be productive time at the end of the day.
0: Well, and, and at the end of the day too, we're, we are our own bosses for a reason, right? We got into to right. doing our own thing so that we could have that flexibility. If we don't take advantage of that, we're, we're missing out. So I think it is good to exactly. To take that time.
1: Yeah. And I think everybody benefits from that as well. If I'm happy doing the work, then my client will get the best out of me as well.
0: Now, speaking of making good use of our time and giving ourselves kind of a mental or psychological break, um, one of the interesting things about you, Anne, is that you have experienced both in yoga and meditation, and I think teaching both, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So I, I'm curious, and this is we've talked about meditation briefly on the podcast before. I find it fascinating. I found benefit from it. I could certainly stand to do way more of it. But for those who are maybe not familiar with meditation or kind of working on their practice, can you share a tip or two that would help somebody new to the practice get started?
1: Yeah, I think probably the easiest thing to do that literally everybody can do and that everybody will benefit from Pretty much straight away is just take however long you can afford to. If it's 20 seconds, that's great. If it's 20 minutes, that's way better. Hmm. But literally like one minute will suffice just breathing. Just if you feel yourself being unfocused, you know, a scattered mind, you're all over the place. Yeah. You just can't focus on work or you, like I said earlier, you react to certain things in a way that is not very productive. Just take a brief moment out and just close your eyes and just breathe and focus on your breathing and just, and by focus on your breathing, I mean, just notice how the breath feels in your body. Mm. That's literally it. I mean, just conscious breathing and noticing what you're experiencing and what that really does to you on a physical level is it gets you out of your head and into your body which frees up your head to just kind of calm down. And um
0: <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> and that's yeah.
1: basically that's the main I mean, the main goal, so to say, of meditation is to calm down your nervous system. So our nervous system rules our body in how we react to stress, how we react to hormones and all those kind of things. And it it's an unconscious thing that's going on that we can't really control very mm. well. Yeah. So Calming down our nervous system is the best thing that we can do in order to just feel better. I mean, breathing is probably like the easiest thing to just in any situation. And it really doesn't take long. And it's right there. I mean, everybody breathes all the time.
0: Well, and, and so. it's interesting to consider too, at least and I'll speak personally. I realized that I tend to breathe in quite a shallow manner much of the time. Mm-hmm. When I yeah. sit down to take the time to actually even if I'm just driving the car and I think, oh, I need to take the time to actually breathe deeply, I yeah. can literally get a physical buzz from from doing just that, even for a short period of time, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it might that's be. It. Yeah, My body's it's, not it's, used to having that that kind of oxygen.
1: That's that's exactly it. And it's it's both. It's the benefit of actually getting more oxygen into your body as well as slowing down your whole, your, your blood flow, your heartbeat. Yeah. And like I mentioned, calming down your nervous system—it all happens at the same time, and it's—it can be just one deep breath can be enough to just keep you just kind of coming back to where you came from.
0: When you mention heartbeat, uh, I, I know I've had personal experience again with the ability to be able to consciously show slow down my heartbeat just through taking the time being present uh, certainly breathing more deeply, more slowly. It's fascinating how our body will respond. And actually to that point, I wear a ring currently. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast, maybe multiple times now by a company called aura, O U R A. Mm -hmm. Um, you could do a quick Google search. In fact, we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes as well. For those of you who are curious, Um, I'm wearing it mainly to, to track sleep, but it will also, one of the things that they just incorporated into their app, uh, is a, place where you can go and set up a meditation. And what it will then do is to track what's called heart rate variability, uh, which on a very simple level, because I'm certainly not a scientist or a doctor, is a measure of your level of recoveredness. And and I realize that's not grammatically correct. I'm doing that on purpose there. But the level of recovery that your body body is experiencing um, can be measured at least partially in heart rate variability in the way that your heart is beating. And what they've done now is is incorporated this this meditative practice into their app so that you can see its effect on your heart rate variability yeah. and your ability to recover. It's really, really fascinating stuff. And the fact that I can do that through a ring on my finger is, is brilliant. But uh, for those of you who might be curious, not only to track your sleep, but work on stress management and recovery, that's a really interesting resource. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's Actually, really interesting, and especially the, the point that you brought up about it just being like you know a bit scientifically interesting because I feel like a lot of people um, who don't believe in meditation mm. or you know haven't really spent any time on it, yes, it's because they think it's all woo-woo spiritual weirdness that's going on. But it, I mean, it does have a very solid base in scientific studies that right. it does uh, a world of good to our brains, to our bodies, everything.
0: Yeah. No, oh, that's good. And, and really, that could be a podcast episode in and of itself. I'm glad that we went yeah. there, though. And I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your, <laughs> your expertise in that realm. Talk to us about reading, uh, or maybe it's listening to a book. But what is one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've had the opportunity to consume?
1: So I actually, I used to read a lot of business books quite some time ago and I kind of stopped doing that because, mainly because I feel like recreating something that worked for someone else is not always the best idea. Okay. But I do actually, and this really goes well with our, what we were talking about before. Um, I read a really interesting book, which I think is beneficial on so many levels. It's called Why Buddhism is True. And it's actually a non-spiritual look at the whole practice of buddhism but mainly um, the benefits of meditation and it's written by a evolutionary psychologist and what makes it really interesting is a he writes really well it's it's very um, entertaining it's not super dry and scientific but it does have a lot of scientific facts in it and it talks about why we react the way that we do based on evolutionary models so that we have just certain instincts ingrained in us based on us needing to survive back in the day. And this is how we still act to this day because it's mostly unconscious, like how thoughts and feelings steer almost every decision that we make and how we can gain a little bit more of a perspective about why we're doing certain things.
0: It is interesting that it, it's, you mentioned earlier the association that a lot of people make with uh, religion, when they're talking about the, or they hear the idea of meditation, and mm. um, and the same, I think, seems to to hold true for the concept of Buddhism. And I'm not personally religious, but uh, there is a fascinating video. I'm going to have to. I, I can't uh, remember the title off the top of my head. We'll find this and link to it in the show notes as well. Uh, there's a video on YouTube that I watched some time ago that was absolutely just brilliant and and compelling um, in multiple ways. With that centered around a Buddhist nun who was explaining how Buddhism wasn't at the root level, at least based on her opinion and her perspective, was not a religion so much as a kind of a perspective on life. And uh, she's very, very matter of fact, very practical. And, and when it came more specifically to the conversation around, I think it was actually using the, the thought processes behind Buddhism for the sake of self-therapy. Uh, Mm -hmm. As much as there can be value, certainly, in going to a therapist and getting outside perspective, a lot of it just resides in our mind. If we can understand the, the systems, the way that our mind works, the belief systems, the psychology that drive the way that we feel and ultimately behave we can do a lot of self-therapy. It's a really interesting take on Buddhism. Because again, a lot of people, when they hear Buddhism or any number of other kind of religious labels, they, they automatically think about a religion in a traditional sense. And that isn't necessarily the case, particularly when it comes to Buddhism. It seems more like a philosophy right. on how to approach life.
1: That's, that's how I would describe it as well. And yeah. I feel like reading about the the ideas behind it from a scientific point of view is definitely helpful when it comes to having your own doubts about anything loosely associated with religion. I want to say.
0: Okay. Well, we'll, we'll link to this book in the show notes as well. And and again, I really appreciate your perspective and, and, um, I, this is a in fact. I'm going to have to maybe get a copy of this book too and dig into yeah. it a little bit. It's interesting stuff. Before we talk about international wedding clients and this talk, topic of, of how we can go about effectively attracting them, I have to at least ask you a little bit about photography. <laughs> and and first of all, I know that um, you are a film photographer. I want to get into that here in just a second. But I'm curious to hear what the most unusual item is in your camera bag. And this doesn't have to be a camera body or a lens or flash or otherwise.
1: Most unusual? Um, I don't think I have anything majorly unusual. But I did notice the other day when I don't have my Sharpie on me that I'm kind of at a total loss and I don't know what to do with myself <laughs> because <laughs> because since I shoot on film, I started numbering my roles that I shoot since I have to send it off to the lab and they scan it for me and then I get all the files back. If it's not numbered, you get whatever 700 images back in, in a really random order because they can't see from the outside what's on this role before they develop it. Okay. So, and then you have to spend about two or three hours just sorting all your images, which is very, very painful when you don't really want to do that. So, now I started numbering my rolls. So, my lab scans them in the, in the right order. And the other day, I did not bring my Sharpie with me. I had like a just a regular pen. And that pen just, you know, when it doesn't work 80% of the time and you just keep on like scratching it and trying to make it work. And I spent the whole wedding trying to number my rolls and I just could not. So, oh no. I was really, really mad at myself for just forgetting a Sharpie. I mean, it seemed so, so ridiculous, but that was like, that kind of became the most important thing in my bag that I did not have.
0: <laughs> well, and that sets us up really well to talk about film photography. And and for those of you who've never shot film, the idea of numbering a roll of film may seem like a, an extremely foreign concept. Maybe you can liken it to numbering CF cards or SD cards. Yeah,
1: I guess. Well, I, I mean, if you... I guess it's kind of like comparable if you have a second shooter and you try and sync like their date and timestamp on their camera isn't synced up with yours. And then afterwards, you try to sync up all the images so that it, you know, comes into Lightroom in the right right order, that kind of thing.
0: The nightmare that is having files from multiple cameras out of sync, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it could be a little bit overwhelming. So yeah, that might be a a, a comparable... concept for sure. But talk to us about film photography. I mean, this is particularly challenging if you are traveling and doing international weddings. Yeah. Um, What was the draw to film photography? And and talk to me more specifically about something that you actually mentioned on your site, because you actually say that you love the connection with clients enabled by the lack of distraction we normally get from a digital screen. I, I love, again, the philosophy innate to that statement. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: So basically it all comes back to the fact that obviously if you shoot on film and you don't have that screen on the back of your camera, you don't know what you just did. So you take a picture and you have no idea if, if it did what you wanted it to do.
0: Right. So
1: you have to make sure that everything is correct, your aperture is correct, your shutter speed is correct before you take the picture. What it really does is that as long as, Like any situation that you come into that has different lighting, you need to spend a little bit of time measuring the light and making sure that you get your exposure right. But once you have you freed up to concentrate on actually taking a good picture and connecting to your client rather than with your camera the whole time. Because at least that's something that I noticed myself doing when I shoot digitally, that I keep on checking on the back of the camera, even if I know it's probably fine. And it's just a weird reflex that you keep on checking it. And then you do like micro adjustments of like, well, I could do this a little lighter, a little darker maybe, and just make sure that this exposure is a little bit better on that side. And if you don't do that and don't keep on looking at your camera, you're much more present with your client. And they notice that as well. It's less of a technical thing standing in front of them. And you only focusing on your camera. It's more of an actual person-to-person interaction at that point. So you can spend all your time making sure that your client is comfortable, that you're actually setting them up for the right shot, and all those kind of things.
0: Yeah, I I could liken it to um, trying to have a conversation with somebody when they're looking at their phone, almost. I mean, the the amount of time that that we've spent, uh, it, it was a term that used to be thrown around, you don't really hear it anymore, but chimping. Uh, was a term exactly. that was used yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's the one.
0: Yeah, but constantly looking at that at that camera when you've got a client there who's likely uncomfortable enough as it is being right. in front of a camera, they're probably stressed out because they've either never been photographed before or the wedding day is going on and there's a lot to to do and they want to get to the next thing. And you're sitting there looking at your camera constantly. That's that's really going to take
1: take away. You're probably having like some kind of reaction to that as well, right? <laughs> that's true. Like your face is going to do something <laughs> involuntarily, even if it's just because, like, oh no, I I, I blew the highlights. But the client is going to think like, oh, she's wincing. So that means I look terrible. And, you know, and we all have that client who's like, can I see? And you're like, I really don't want to show you the back of my camera because like this is not going to be the image that you're going to get. And people are so self-critical at that point. And it takes that whole thing just away, which is really, really nice.
0: Now, do you shoot digitally at all i mean it, it, do you have you come up with any techniques for digital photographers to learn how to be that kind of present with their clients despite having that screen on the back of their camera?
1: I do still shoot some digital mainly um in the evenings for like the dancing things like that where i don't want to waste money on shooting film, yeah, <laughs> but it's really funny because most of the time, as soon as I pick up the digital camera, even if I haven't photographed with it in days or weeks, I go straight back to that idiot who just clicks the shutter 100,000 times. <laughs> and I just can't really help myself. I try it so hard. And it's, it's really strange because I obviously don't do it on the film camera. But as soon as I pick up the digital camera, I'm like, oh, it's free. It's fine. But what I did do is I switched my screen off, you know, how you can set it to immediately show you the picture once you take it. And I just switched that off. So I have to go through that extra button of pressing play to Uh. read the image. So at least that kind of, you know, it's like one more barrier to actually look at the picture. And I do look at it less because of that.
0: Yeah, it may seem to a lot of our listeners that it goes without saying, but but engagement with our clients is so, so big. I mean, and, and I have commented on this before in the podcast, but the number of times as a wedding photographer, and I shot weddings for over 10 years, the number of times that I heard from clients, or even second shooting, I think, uh, from a client or clients that I was doing such a wonderful job, and they had never seen one image that I'd photographed that day. It's a really compelling thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? I get that all the time too. And I'm like, you don't have any idea what I just did all day. <laughs> but it goes to
0: show that it's all about how it's the experience that we create for them. And so much of that yeah. experience is the way that we engage with them in, a, in, a, in any way, whether it's our phone or, you know, I mean, the, the amount of time that wedding photographers seem to spend these days on Instagram at weddings, yeah. you know, doing Instagram stories, for example, it's a little bit concerning to me, honestly, I, like, I wonder how they're able to do that and fully be present and available for yeah. the client, especially in particular scenarios. It's so important that we stay present, that we stay engaged, And it will make all the difference in the world in the way that the client perceives their experience with us. So, uh, Yeah,
1: I definitely agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really stresses me out. I've tried it a few times to do exactly what you just said, like take some videos for Instagram stories or whatnot, or even now and then I had a client asking if I can take a picture for Instagram, you know, right at that time. And it's just, I spent so much time on that, making sure that that is okay that I feel is really taking away from the time I should be spending on my client.
0: Well, it's a good reminder for all of us, whether we shoot film or digitally to be present, because it really does make all the difference in the world. Let's talk about uh, your clients specifically and, and, and even more specifically your international clients on your site. You actually mentioned that you've traveled over 30,000 miles through 13 different countries. And I'm sure you've traveled even more since you wrote that mm-hmm. uh, on the about section. I think it's on the about section of your site but what jump-started this amount of travel for you?
1: So I think what really started it all was my first international wedding. And I mean, I started out in Europe. So international means like anything outside of Europe, because it feels like if you're in France or Italy, it's the same kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing. <laughs> okay, it was a wedding in Malaysia that uh, kind of came about. It was actually really interesting. I feel like That whole wedding not only jump-started my international shooting, it also is a really, really good example of my general philosophy of if you want something, you really need to ask for it. You can't Mm -hmm. wait for it to come to you. Mm -hmm. So what happened in this situation was this couple had booked me for an engagement shoot, and they live in Malaysia. She is Malaysian, uh, he's French, and they met at university in Munich in Germany. So they wanted to do the engagement shoot, um, like a very Asian engagement session, it's like all day with a hair and makeup artist there wow. and three different dresses and that kind of thing. And they wanted to do it in Munich because that's where they met and that's where they first lived together. So um, they inquired with me for that, uh, ended up booking me, and we had such a great time that whole day. We just got along really well. We had a fantastic time taking all these pictures that – After, I think it was the next day, possibly, even before I had the images ready, I emailed them saying that I had such a great time with them. And if they haven't got a photographer for their wedding, which was going to be in Malaysia yet, uh, because we only talked about it very briefly, that I would love to make it work that I could come and shoot their wedding as well. And I think it took like 20 minutes for her to reply to me. And she said I would have replied sooner, but I was busy screaming with excitement because that's exactly what I was thinking. But I wasn't sure if you could make this work. So knowing that you're able to travel here, we'll definitely figure out a way. And they ended up booking me and paid for my travel and everything. And that was my first like really international wedding.
0: How long ago was that?
1: That was 2013, I think.
0: Wow, okay, so about six years ago. Maybe 2012, yeah. And, and yeah. when you're talking about this idea of, of asking for what you want, I mean, there's a lot of conversation about doing that kind of in a theoretical way or a figurative way. But you're talking about literally, in this case, asking literally, your client. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> or just putting it out there that this is actually a possibility, because a lot of times people just think it's not possible for you to do this. They don't even consider it an option. And that's why they're not asking you. So I mean, obviously, it could go wrong. And they could be like, Oh, I mean, wrong, but you're just back where you came from. If somebody says like, No, we can't afford to fly you here, then you're in the same position as you were if you hadn't asked, really. So you can't lose anything.
0: But was this something that you'd been wanting to do for some time? And you just you you kind of got the gumption to actually ask in this particular scenario? What led up to that?
1: It wasn't like I always wanted to shoot big international weddings or anything like that. I think it was just because I had such a good connection with them, with this couple in particular. And um, what they were telling me about the wedding that they had planned seemed really exciting because it was a very traditional wedding in some regards and just completely different to any wedding that I've shot in the UK or all over Europe, that it was just a really exciting idea to do this. And it was like, I mean, the wedding itself, it was one of the hardest weddings I've ever shot because of all of the different elements that came together. But it was also one of the best weddings I've ever shot. And these people are such good friends with mm. me to this day. I've stayed with them numerous times on my travels. Wow. So it's really, really great. I consider them super close friends. And I think it's all part of this whole thing.
0: Aside from developing friendships, because that's that's so cool. I mean, at the end of the day, if we're willing to not only, of course, create a great experience for our clients, but put ourselves out there, there is wonderful opportunity to create wonderful relationships with our clients, but what are some of the other benefits of photographing international clients? What do you enjoy most about it?
1: Um, I think the number one thing is seeing different cultures and different traditions. I'm generally very curious Mm. and I like traveling mainly for that reason, not necessarily connected to work just in general. I love traveling and seeing different people, different cultures and learning about all different kinds of things. And with these international weddings because not all of them are destination weddings it's not all couples from where I live who go to some holiday resort and get married there it's sometimes it's people who live in a foreign country and have their for them regular wedding there which for me is a completely exotic different kind of wedding so that's probably the main interesting thing about it and obviously I get to see a lot of Amazing places I would never ever get to go on my own.
0: Oh, right. For
1: like financial reasons. And also, I mean, most people get married in really pretty areas. Sure. <laughs> so that's always a bonus.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. And doesn't hurt the portfolio either, does it?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Did you travel yeah. a lot um, as a child? Did you have a lot of experience in past years traveling before you started photographing these international weddings?
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate that my parents always took us on really great holidays. We would go sailing in the Caribbean, things like that. So um, yeah, I definitely blame my parents for my (laughs) my travel feat that I've got now. Because I mean, it's their own fault that I moved so far away and everything. (laughs) And I also spent like a year um, as an exchange student when I was in school. So that probably also contributed a lot to that.
0: Well, it probably contributes to an, an open-mindedness to other cultures, too. I mean, it's easy if you right. stay in the same place all the time or do the same thing all the time to get used to that, so used to it that you tend to stay away from new experiences. And um, yeah. there really is something quite incredible about traveling to other countries and getting to know people from other cultures. Uh, and, and we can learn so, so much through those experiences. I think it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. For those of our listeners, though, who are curious about how to make a move in the direction of photographing destination weddings or working with international clients, I, I'm sure they may want to know how they can begin moving in that direction. I mean, I love the practicality of just simply asking, putting it out there, certainly putting it on your website. Uh, But I'd love if you'd share a few key ideas or principles that have enabled you to not only begin to book international clients, but continue to do so in the last six years or so.
1: I think the number one thing to consider first before you start any of these things is why do you want to shoot international weddings? Hmm. Why do you want to travel? Because obviously it's not all uh, glamour and roses, quite far from it most of the time. So um, I think it's really, really important to know why you want to do this because it's very, very hard at the end of the day and probably not going to make you a lot of money as well compared to local weddings. So by knowing why you're doing this, I think you can kind of transmit that message out and convince your client way easier as well. If you're just like, well, I think it's kind of fun to go and travel around then your client is probably not going to be that likely to go. Oh yeah, I definitely want to pay you all this money to come here.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to pay you to have your own vacation. Yeah, that, that's, exactly, that's because be it's compelling.
1: not. It's not going to be a vacation at all. So having said that, though, I think the first thing that goes beyond anything else is trust. You need to build trust with your client as soon as you can. And this means by uh, your client, probably the first contact they'll have with you is coming to your website or maybe your social media, but probably your website. So what can you do on your website in order to start generating trust with your client who will pay you a lot of money before they even possibly meet you, let alone before you give them anything for this amount of money. So they need to know like, I'm in really good hands with this person. And this is from little things like, do you have insurance? You know, like if anything goes wrong that you're insured, it's other things like, do you have any experience in doing this kind of thing to make sure that you actually get there and get there on time? It's things like, will I get these kind of images that you have on your website from my wedding as well? Uh Like, what if it rains? You know, what if uh, there's some other weather weather? undecided whether that could happen or if the hotel messes something up, will you still be able to get me great images of my wedding? So being reliable and all these things are little, I mean, some of it you can do on your website by uh, explaining what you do, yeah. um, by showing images, like a variety of images that you have done. If it's all sunshine on the palm trees, and I'm going to get married um, on the Isle of Skye in Scotland, then I'm not sure you can get me those kind of images that you have <laughs> right. on your website, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably shouldn't be inquiring with a photographer who only has those kind of images <laughs> at that point, but you never know. So like show even show images of from, you know, something that wasn't um, all ideal circumstances, but maybe you still got a really, really amazing image from it because of that or despite of that. So show that, for example, then having maybe even references from your clients or even if it's just a short testimonial, right? to show like what it is that you do very, very well for your clients.
0: Okay. So establishing trust here makes all the difference in the world. And that's interesting to think about. Do you, do you do that? I mean, you're talking about how to do that through your website and and some of this, I'm sure through conversation, do you have the opportunity to be able to, especially if these clients don't live near you, do you jump on Skype or something comparable in order to be able to make a connection with them personally?
1: I think it was only in the first two years of my business that I met with people in person. Since then, every single uh, client I've only ever talked to via Skype. And that's literally what I do. It's Skype or FaceTime. I try to get them on FaceTime if it's not possible. It's just the phone calls better than emailing. But I have to talk to everybody in person before they book me. Like that's definitely one of my requirements and it's not just for them. I mean, it's definitely helpful for them so I can explain what I do and they can ask me all the questions that they have and share their worries that they may have. Um, It's also for me to make sure that this client and me that we're going to get along because Um, If we're not going to get along and even if it's the most amazing wedding, but they're not going to laugh at my jokes or, you know, they're just they have like these weird expectations of what they really want. And it does not align with what I want to do. We're all going to be unhappy. I'm going to be miserable shooting that wedding because it's not what I want to do. And they're going to be unhappy with the images because it's not what they wanted in the first place. So I think being really honest with yourself about is this really something that I definitely want to do coming back to this integrity thing is the best possible service you can do for your client and then being open about it. And you don't have to say, I don't think we're a great fit because some people will take that personally. You could just come up with with an excuse, say you're already booked or you can't make it work or you have something else going on and refer other people to them as a helpful gesture, for example. I think this is definitely better than taking on a wedding that already has raised red flags with you just because you really want to
0: do it. Okay. So number one, be clear about your motivation. And I think this is really good. I mean, and and it does go back to our earlier conversation about what drives what we're doing in business and how we're spending our time, but make sure that we have the right motivation because really having the right motivation can carry us through the, in this case, the potential difficulties of photographing international weddings. It's important um, to establish the motivation for it to be a a strong enough motivation, a deeper why, if you will, to enable us to kind of get over the humps, the challenges that come with photographing international weddings. Number two, establishing trust. Uh, This is an interesting one, too. And and honestly, one that I wouldn't have thought of off the top of my head. I didn't shoot a lot of destination weddings. Most of my clients were local. Uh, But the significance, especially for of establishing trust, especially for those who can't connect with you in person, I can imagine that this is particularly important. And yeah. um, doing that through your website, but then also making time to actually have conversation. It's so important. And I, I know I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but so many photographers mention how they're, they have introverted tendencies, and they're not comfortable being in groups of people or you know, maybe connecting mm-hmm. with people that they're not familiar with. But in this case, we're photographers, we're photographing other people, we need to, to make the effort go above and beyond to, to create that personal connection, because it will translate to a better personal experience for the clients.
1: And also, I mean, in, in that kind of case, I'm actually I come across very sociable and open, but I, I have kind of very introverted tendencies as well. <laughs> and one trick that always works really well when talking to clients is ask them questions, make them talk about themselves. Because that way, A, you're going to learn a lot that you can use later to make sure that you're getting them the images that they want by asking them what's important to them, what are they looking forward to the most. And it also makes them feel really taken care of and very important. And that's always a great, great, great technique to build that trust as well and that way you don't have to talk about yourself if you're like you know if you feel so in true. any way shy or whatever yeah you know
0: what? and that's actually probably some of the most practical advice that that I've heard on this podcast about how to deal with being an introvert ask questions
1: ask questions people love to talk about themselves yeah.
0: Yeah. And then they can do the talking, like you said.
1: That's actually, you know what, coming back to the uh, business book thing, there's this book from, I think it's Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence People. And it sounds super manipulative, but it's not. (laughs) It's actually a really, really great book from the 50s or something. But it's so great, this advice about like, you know, you go to a party and you really don't want to go, but if you just ask people questions about themselves, yep. so they will walk away saying, that was the nicest person I've ever spoken to, even though you didn't say anything.
0: It's so, it's so true. Uh, and, and there's so many there are different directions that could go in this, but we, yeah, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale, Dale oh, Carnegie, yeah, it one, was yeah. actually written, I think closer to the turn of the century, um, like early 1900s. Yeah, it, it's amazing how a book that old, can, can maintain principles that are still applicable, you know, a hundred years or so later. It's, it's quite fascinating. Definitely a good book. We'll link to it in the show notes. If you haven't read it, it, it definitely should be a go-to for you. But to your point, Anne, it, it's, and, and a good one at that, you're just making a simple effort to make it about the other person in conversation and actually even yeah. in the photography. And I find it interesting that you bring this up. I have to ask because I know a lot of photographers would, um, kind of hold their, their Art, so-called art close to their chest and the idea of asking a photographer or a client what they want versus bringing mm-hmm. their vision to the picture, not something that they're going to tend to be kind of open to. Where do you think the balance is between asking the client what they want and also maintain, maintaining the so-called integrity that you referred to earlier when it comes to your style of photography?
1: I think it's actually really, really important to ask your client what they want and to know what they want or at least try to figure it out because otherwise they're just not going to like what you're going to give them. And some people, or actually most people will say, I just want you to do what you do because we love your pictures. And then that's great. And as long as you're not sacrificing your own values and your own process um, by doing that, I think it's definitely possible to shoot for your client In your own way. Hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean our client is paying us for this. We are being commissioned to take these pictures. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna I'm gonna create like I'm gonna sacrifice my creative vision for my client. That's not what I'm doing. I'm still gonna do whatever I do. I'm just gonna try and take pictures of the things that mean something to my client because that's what I wanna do. I wanna make them happy. And everybody has different ways to make them happy. And sometimes it's taking pictures of their grandmother and sometimes it's taking pictures of their shoes. And if I have to take pictures of their shoes, I will take pictures of their shoes, but I will take it in a way that I like, if that makes sense.
0: Totally makes sense. And I think that's a wonderful compromise and the focus on, again, the client experience there is a great example for all of us. But let me get back to to drawing in international clients. We talked about the significance of having the right motivation, first of all, and, and that is so big just across the board when it comes to running a photography business. Secondly, the significance of establishing trust. Uh, but I want to kind of, in a way, go backwards a little bit because I'm really curious for well, my own sake, but also for the sake of our listeners, how it is in the first place that you're able to draw in these international clients. I mean, is it is it a matter of, A great website and SEO? is Is most of your business coming to you through referrals? How do you actually go about getting these international clients?
1: So first, I found that this has changed so much over the last few years. And I think it's continually changing as well. It's partly because we're kind of getting into a new generation of clients of people getting married that just have different habits of where they find the people that they want. And it's also because this whole world of wedding blogs and magazines has all changed so much in recent years, too. So in the beginning, first few years, wedding blogs were huge for me. Being featured on wedding blogs have got me like probably 80% of my business. Like I had a very early on, I had a shoot uh, featured on Rock My Wedding, a U- big UK wedding blog. And I got probably 12 bookings from that one feature alone. Yeah. And that really kind of like shot me up there of getting super busy in my first year. And in the last two years, I have maybe gotten one single booking from numerous wedding blog features. So it's really, really gone down, which partly is, I guess, because there's more blogs, they are posting more weddings. There's a lot more photographers being featured on wedding blogs than it was five years ago. And then maybe also people are not necessarily looking on blogs anymore. They're just browsing Instagram. It's like super instantaneous, everything. So for me at this point right now, it's 40% Google, which is having a good website where you'll show up for the things that you want to show up for on Google. So keywords on your website um, regularly updating your website so that Google keeps on refreshing it and you're gonna get higher up in the search results for this kind of thing. also like having certain venues on your website tagged so that will come up as well in Google search results. But I guess that's more for like repeat business in venues that you already shot at. but in this case, for like international clients, you could. Uh, take pictures on holiday at a destination that you really would like to shoot a wedding at, and put this up on a blog post. Write a blog post about traveling to this place, and you don't have to say you shot a wedding there if you haven't. It's I think like I have a blog post on my website about ten things to do in Hong Kong on a weekend, because that's what I did. I did like. 10 things on a weekend in Hong Kong (laughs) and took (laughs) pictures of it. And I love Hong Kong. And this keeps on like, this is really high up in Google now for search results for Hong Kong. And this is really great. I mean, I haven't gotten a wedding booking from that yet, but I get regular inquiries through this kind of thing. So that's a really good idea to do as well.
0: So what percent, you said 40% through Google. 40%
1: for Google. And the rest is all uh, recommendations from either old clients or venues that I shot at word of mouth. And that to me is, at least with the kind of clients that I have, is a huge thing. Because if somebody has either heard from their friends about me, whose wedding I shot, or even better, they've been at a wedding that I photographed and seen the pictures from their friends, I don't have to do anything anymore. They want to book me. Like at that point where they get in touch with me, they are already convinced that I do a great job. They may have even seen me do a great job, and they're like, "This is our date. Are you free? Please let us book you." And that's fantastic. I don't have to convince anybody anymore. They already know everything.
0: Do you, is there anything that you do specifically to make that process of being referred? And maybe maybe I'm trying to go too, too deep here, but um, you know, we're 2019. It seems as though, yeah. for example, business cards for for whatever reason, people start at least in the U.S. market start still use business cards, and I think it's. Co- quite hilarious that in 2019 we have to come is, up with a, a better way of exchanging information.
1: Yeah, I'm literally just about to order new business cards because I haven't had any in years. And I just moved to the US. I'm like, I need business cards. Everybody's asking me for a card. It's so funny.
0: Well, so but I'm curious, though, is there anything that you've done to make the process of referrals easier? I mean, if if you know, for example, if a client is going to refer their friend to you or a Mm -hmm. venue, you'd like to get referrals from venues, is there anything that you're doing to make it easier for them to to do just that? Um, Do you do any kind of email campaigns to Past clients? Do you do? Do you provide products and uh, images, uh, this type of thing for the venues? What, what does that process look like?
1: I definitely, I do provide um, images to venues. Um, I kind of stopped doing it preemptively, just for time reasons. But if if a venue asks me, I'm more than happy to give them images, and I get. I get a few, I have like a few venues where I just kind of build like a really good relationship with them and they're using some of my images on their website and whatnot and I get constant referrals from them. So that's great. I think that's definitely something you can build on more if that's your kind of thing. As for like, I don't do email campaigns, but what I do and what I've just kind of done, as I mentioned, like I just moved to a completely new market. And one of the things that has really helped me is, again, I go out and I ask for it. So I email people that I know. I email past clients that I have who live around here. And I let them know I just moved here. Um, If you know anybody who's getting married or needs pictures, please, please, please give them my name. And it works. I mean, not everybody does it, but most people do it because most my clients are very happy with what I do for them. So um, they're super happy to refer me. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you're available around here. I'm definitely going to do that. Or even like a friend of mine got engaged and I saw that on Instagram. And I went to her and I said, you know, I'm a wedding photographer. And she said, I don't know that. And she literally just booked me for her wedding. Wow. So. So it's just, again, you have to say it out loud. You have to put it out there. And I think personal contact, for me, goes a really long way with this because it comes kind of circles back to this whole thing about building trust is building a personal relationship Mm -hmm. to your clients. And I know like weddings are not necessarily repeat business in the best cases, but other things will come from it, whether it's friends being referred to you, whether it's family shoots later on. I take so many family pictures for past wedding clients. It's so nice to be back in their lives or like kind of follow along in their, you know, journey in life that I think that personal contact is super, super important.
0: Yeah. And and it's interesting too. I mean, as cliche as it sounds to think about how even just making the time to smile or in conversation just to, to go the extra mile and ask a question that goes beyond the surface level, how it can make an impact Um, whether it's with a client or even a guest at a wedding.
1: A guest at a wedding. I have have a lot of people who actually came to me and said, like, you took a really amazing picture of me and my fiance at this wedding. It's Mm. the best picture of us that's ever been taken. And I'm like, okay, I don't remember you, but that's great. (laughs) Because I usually don't, but I try to make an effort to take a great picture of every guest at the wedding. For this, I mean, that's just a really nice side effect of it, that they may end up booking you in a few years.
0: Yeah, that's really really good. Well, this has been really wonderfully practical, applicable information. When we started with the idea of having the right motivation, spending time, then secondly, establishing trust. When it comes to actually getting these clients, what does that look like? Well, first of all, make sure that you really on a very, this is a very simplistic statement, I realize, because there's so much associated with it, but making sure that your website is set up in such a way that Google, that really search engine optimization, this idea of SEO Um, You've done everything necessary to be able to capitalize on that. We actually had uh, Karen Julia on the podcast back in episode 243. And for those of you listening in, if you have not heard that episode yet, we'll link to it in the show notes, but make sure you go back and listen to that. Um, There are some things that you can start doing right away to improve your SEO and get better exposure. And then the fourth thing that you talked about is really just simply asking for referrals. And, and mm-hmm. I, I like the simplicity. And again, the practicality of that, it's it's funny, I think a lot of photographers, myself included, are not natural salespeople, we're kind of apprehensive, yeah. asking for something. But we, of course, we can go about it in a really kind, constructive, even creative way. And um, if we just make the effort to ask and put ourselves out there a little bit, you never know what we m- might come from it.
1: Yeah, and I think if it's from a genuine place, which yes. like just The saying to somebody that you know as a friend, basically, by saying like, hey, if you know anybody who could use my services, please let me know. Yeah. That's a whole different thing than having to sell yourself, I think. Hmm. It doesn't feel to me it does not feel like selling myself it feels more like actually asking for what i need which is something that we should all be doing in general in life anyway.
0: Yeah that's interesting i mean there's and we could go again different directions there with the psychology behind that but if we if we feel apprehensive and honestly this was my personal experience as a formerly self-proclaimed introvert um, when, when I what I what I realized was behind that so-called introversion was some psychology that needed to be kind of explored a little bit. And part of that psychology was I was going into these groups of people like events for well, events centered around photography or the photography industry and kind of putting on a show and and not, not in an overtly negative way, but I was, I was going in and kind of performing for the sake of being at this event, you know, being quote on, as as we say a lot of times Mm -hmm. and, and, but not actually just being myself and being okay with that. And so when it comes to this idea of putting ourselves out there to, to ask for something or to quote, sell something to somebody else, if we go into it with all kind of show put aside and just be ourselves and be genuine, yeah. as you say. People, people know when we are genuine, when we exactly. genuinely want to connect with them, when we want to establish a relationship with them. And then in that conversation, putting out there the fact that we are photographers or offering a particular service, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And it won't be taken the wrong way when they've already sensed a genuine connection with us. So I, I think that's a really great reminder for all of our listeners. And again, myself included, um, just be yourself be natural, be genuine, and really asking for something won't be overly challenging or complicated. This is good. Well, I, I really appreciate you making time to, to share with us. And I know that we could probably spend another hour or two on this topic, because it really is a loaded <laughs> one. But And thank you so much for making time for the Book of Podcast. And just in closing, if you'll share one more time where our listeners can find you online?
1: So um, it's mainly my website and Instagram. I got rid of Facebook. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's man we could go we could go down that rabbit trail for a second. What what didn't you like about it? And have you found that you that you're miss it at all?
1: I think it just put me into a really negative space like mm. seeing what everyone else is sharing on my timeline. I there was no value in any of it. It made me feel bad every time I looked at it and yet I couldn't stop looking at it mm. in a really self-destroying way. And then this whole you know discussion of Facebook with Brexit, and Trump, and all those kind of things. Yeah. I'm like, it's time. I, I need to get rid of it. It's doing. It literally did nothing good for me. So I don't miss it. But I know a lot of people are very successful in marketing themselves on there. So sure. I don't want to take that away from them. But I was not. I just found it stressful. When,
0: when you say that you felt bad looking at those posts, contrast that with how you feel when you look at Instagram. What What was it about Facebook specifically that made you feel worse than looking through Instagram?
1: So on Facebook I felt like at least this is obviously a very personal experience the 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 things that people were sharing on my timeline was all links to YouTube videos or you know pretentious political things uh, that are not actually very activist at all. Okay. And on Instagram I have a choice as to what I'm looking at gotcha. because I don't need to follow everybody to be actually friends with them and I have a very not well, not curated. But I I do unfollow people on a regular basis if I feel like uh, looking at their stuff isn't going to be good for me. And mm. I have a very positive kind of stream where it's either like very pretty pictures that I enjoy, or it's like good messages, those kind of things. Yeah, so I it's like a that. bit more bit more positive for me in that regard.
0: Well, if you don't mind, just mentioning your website one more time and your Instagram as well.
1: Sure. So my website is com, and it's spelled in the most complicated way without any E is what I can say in there. It's like no E. It's A-N-N-K-A-T-H-R-I-N-K-O-C-H.com. Um, probably best linked in your show notes. Absolutely will. <laughs> and my Instagram is Photo. It's A-N-N-K-O-C-H-Photo.
0: And again, the variety in your Instagram feed is just beautiful. So for those of you listening in, you're going to want to go check thank this you. out. Just sit and enjoy for a little bit. Uh, but once again, and thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your experience on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Nathan.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.